Yeah, so welcome one, welcome all, and all new listeners to Kino Kingdom. This is Kino Kingdom 58. Uh, and um, it was, it was. I don't know if you remember, Rupert, but we used to get a lot of sponsorship back in the early days of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, from Tina, Tina turns up to turn up your turnip farm. And um, what was the other one? That, that bloke who used to croon about the one. Lots of memorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> memorable. Um, sponsorships but recently because we've hit a certain threshold in our viewings thanks to the listeners uh listening listenings what is that uh what is you know threshold in our Hearings? listenership <laughs> listenerships <laughs> um i actually because we hosted mainly through podbean although you can get this podcast on everything pretty much um it said you've hit this threshold so now you can people can apply to actually be sponsors on your show and I was looking at it was saying un- untick the boxes that you don't want to be associated with effectively. And there were okay. some real corkers on there. So you had things like, um, you know, if people want to um, promote their movie on your podcast, they can, and it'll come up pre and post roll. So before we start talking and after we start talking, I was like, yeah, I was scrolling through it. There's like movies, video games, and then there was politics, sexuality, Okay. Alternative, alternative medicine and i thought well i'm ticking all these aren't i just to see what happens i mean <laughs> <laughs> these are all ticked yeah i want a combination of all of the above frankly yeah i'd uh, i'd love it if it was like people are like oh, i listen to the new listen to keto kingdom and then it's like shum do you hate gays and, and, and yeah. like, oh, this, isn't, yeah. this isn't what usually happens there's a drug for that yeah, <laughs> it's a drug for that. Come to one of our camps where we beat the gay out of you. Yeah, side and effects include bleeding from the anus. Yeah, <laughs> you, you've, you've, been, you've obviously been to America and you've seen the uh, the medical adverts they have over there, like for various um, pills and stuff. And yeah, there's be, a lot of it's astonishing. The, the, the amount of how they just reel off. The it's sort of like small print verbally, because it's obviously a law over there. It's astonishing. It is amazing. It's like something to slightly reduce like hay fever or something. And then side effects are like bleeding from the ears, prolapsing from the anus. Yeah. And your, fists, like, I... your fists bursting and peacocks launching out of them that only eat human faces. <laughs> like, oh, I might just put up with the sniffles, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. My my favourite American advert from when I was over there when I was sixteen was um was when I, I think I was ill and I was staying in in the little villa we were staying on my family went out and it was like a Christmas advert and it was a load of it was like a family upstairs in this really sort of palatial wood panelled home and then they run downstairs and the little girl is like really beaming and she opens the front doors with the family standing behind her and it's this it's this golden light on all their faces and they all sort of in this awe and wonder and then it pans around and it's just piles of cheese that's been wrapped okay. and then they, all the family hug each other and a voiceover just goes ah the power of cheese <laughs> and i thought that's not even like for a specific brand of cheese is it that's just like an advert <laughs> just generally promote like cheese. A public service announcement or something yeah, remember <laughs> cheese <laughs> Come on, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cheese sales are down across the board. Let's yeah. Let's, Jesus let's Christ, guys! Let's eat more cheese. Wow. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, and another thing that tickled me um, was my my brother Transval, who writes for Games Freezer, a little bit of a crossover between our podcast. There said to me recently, "Oh, uh, you know, can I take a break from writing reviews because I've got thirty two games that I've bought in a backlog that I want to play?" It's like, yeah, okay, you can have a week off for that. And, it's one uh, humble bundle, eh? <laughs> yeah, he's got four quid on that. <laughs> never play him, never play him. 
they are greyed out on his Steam list. And um, I was like, yeah, no problem at all. And with the first gear, he sent me a picture of this. It was he bought from I think it was a place called Game Collection, a brand new and sealed copy on the PS5 of Necromunda Hired Gun. And he sent me a picture and he opened it and inside was a copy of the DVD of Crank starring Jason Statham. Wow. What? Like sealed? How does that even happen? (laughs) Something tells me it's been resealed, in fact. (laughs) In someone's Crank. I think I preferred Crank 2, possibly. Is that because it was just just up the ante? Yeah, it was just, it didn't even bother trying to resemble reality on any level so I, and it got like super weirdly camp towards the end so yeah i quite enjoyed that uh you you talking about um ramping up the ante until it's just unbelievable supernatural levels is something that will come back in this podcast by the way when i talk about a film later on excellent yeah um so moving on then we've got the arkansas uh, last episode which was to get from and for the new listeners this is um the Arkin's Dar, uh, named after Alan Arkin and Robert's Dar, Natch, uh, is is a game we've got, an ongoing game we've got here at Kino Kingdom where you have to get um, links between actors uh, with as few steps as possible. We, two steppers, we've never had a one stepper, uh, yeah. a hop, a single hop, um, but we've had a, a lot of two steppers, um, and Rupert tends to lose quite fiercely against the audience that, that join in. Yes. I think the score's actually 400 million to zero now. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's got really minus points at some point. But yes, uh, and I suppose we should also mention that it's it's uh, acting only, so it's got to be films they've acted in together. That's how you can make the connections. Yeah. It's not no, like no, directors, no. writers, or any of that. Any of that background like nonsense. Boy grip. What are they called? Grip boys? What are they? those Key things grip? called? Key grip. That's it, yeah. You think they just put the keys in their pocket, to be honest. But so this is the Arkin's Dart for this episode, and it is from well from last episode rather, from Angela Bassett to Hulk Hogan. And can I just say straight off the bat that I'm really disappointed that no one mentioned Girl Six. Um Right. So <laughs> I'm assuming do you want to do yours first before we got the audience? Yeah, because it wasn't the best. It wasn't my best work. It's I... not it's it's not a single hop, is it? Not no, it's given. not. It's not. Uh so Hulk Hogan was in Rocky Three with Sly, uh, who was in Tango and Cash with Kurt, who was in Guardians Two with Chris uh, Pratt. You're gonna have to say you guys waiting for you to have to say the surname then and oh, stop geez. being so like friendly with all the actors. I know, I know. Just <laughs> thinking, oh my god. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and Chris Pratt was in Endgame with Angela Bassett. So that's for that one. I think, I think and not the one with, um, oh my God, what was his name? Yeah, his name? Al, Al Cliver. Yeah. Al Cliver, our best, our favourite actor. Um, okay, that's, that's a four step. A uh, man th- who couldn't act looking across the room. <laughs> yeah, he could, well, there's a bit where he's hiding in a wardrobe, isn't it? And he couldn't act just standing still. He couldn't, he couldn't stand, like convincingly stand still in a cupboard. Amazing. Um, but, you know, he hasn't met Maxwell Caulfield. Um, so, yeah, uh, Transvaal uh, came in with Angela Bassett is in The Black Panther with Michael B. Jordan, who is in Creed with Sylvester Stallone, who's in Rocky Three with Hulk Hogan. So that's the three steps. You're already beaten. Already yeah, beaten. Was... I think you're getting worse at these, actually. I think so. Yeah. I don't know if that's a confidence booster or not, but I've said it now. <laughs> uh, uh, ben says, I humbly submit 
Angela Bassett was in Black Panther with Forrester Whitaker, who was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High with Phoebe Cates, who was in Gremlins 2, The New Batch with Hulk Hogan. And he submitted another one as well. Uh, Angela Bassett was in Kindergarten Cop with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was in The Expendables 2 with Sylvester Stallone, who was in Rocky 3 with Hulk Hogan. I literally don't remember Hulk Hogan in Gremlins 2. But I'm sure he's there. Um, no one mentioned No Holds Barred, but well, I, the thing is with Hulk Hogan, it's a weird one because yes, he was in Rocky Three, but as Thunderlips in the intro. But yeah, Gremlins Two, I'm guessing it must have just cut to like a like a little sort of side vignette with him. Oh, almost certainly, it would is exactly the kind of cameo that would be in that movie because they threw everything into that film, and it's brilliant for it. <sighs> I haven't watched that in such. I should watch that again. So good with my feet. Um, uh, it's almost like it. they knew that they that this was it for them like they weren't going to get any more films in the series sort of thing so they just thought ah oh, to hell with it let's just throw everything at the screen like let's mm-hmm. literally have the gremlins addressing the audience and stuff <laughs> is it jo- joe dante yes yeah i don't i should watch that is that available on any streaming services is it on like oh, anything i watch like sure. is it on rakuten know. that's my go-to one rakuten <laughs> hang on Rakuten, isn't that the worst streaming service? So I think it is. Yeah, that's what it says on the T-shirts. Um, yeah, I'm not sure to be honest. I mean, I'll, clearly I've got it on special edition Blu-ray. So from Germany, then, like all your Blu-rays are for some reason. Well, I only get them from like Germany and stuff. If a they're not available in this country for some reason, like in the Mouth and Madness, or when the cover art looks amazing, which they sometimes do. So like with um, oh, what was that one? It's the one where uh, it's the like the English couple going across the country in a caravan murdering people. Oh, that's the one directed by Ben something, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, which oh, I'll find out the name anyway. Yeah, it's just slipped my mind. But yes, like that's got an amazing because the normal like the UK edition of that has just like a dull kind of normal kind of. Uh, image on the front but the like the german version has this kind of like crocheted version of the same like image on the front so it looks really cool so clearly i had to get that it's ben wheatley and the film is sightseers that's the one it's the one where they visit the pencil museum (laughs) and end up (laughs) accidentally running someone over and it just begins a ridiculous rampage of violence across middle england what a movie He's a pro, that man, isn't he? He doesn't. He doesn't care, does he? Of course, they're making a sequel to the Meg with Jason Statham. Of course, they are directed by him. Directed uh, by whom? Ben Wheatley. What? It is in post-production. I will watch that with my feet, with eyes drawn on the soles. <laughs> Probably just a bunch of my eyes. <laughs> you make me laugh, you guys. You make me laugh. That is um, not. I did not think i'd hear that news today go to the meg presumably with uh, uh, jason statham again yeah yes uh, he had a really weirdly good chemistry with a girl in that by the way they're really good chemistry with it um yeah in every episode i like to say like words in an order that you haven't heard before so that was this episode Excellent. everything okay. everything else, everything else i've heard before. heard before in the order i'm gonna say it um uh so laszlo buckets our occasional co-host um and after this i'll go back to that uh, says yo 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 i'd love to find a more interesting route but i doubt they'd be quicker so here is my three-stepper 
Angela Bassett was in Avengers Endgame with Chris Pratt, who was in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with Sylvester Stallone, who was in Rocky 3 with Hulk Hogan. Uh, which is a, a popular... I did not realise that Stallone was in. I could have made that a three-stepper. Yeah, because Stallone, he voices... Um, oh, my God, who's he voicing it? The collect, Not the collector, something. No, that's what's his name. I get confused with these films. But, yeah, he does do something in it. I didn't know he was in it. Okay, so... Oh, hang on, I'm thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, Guys of the Galaxy, because who did the shark bloke? Yeah, that was Sylvester Stallone as well. Was Suicide Squad, yeah. So I remember oh that, God. sort of. It's, isn't it interesting how we can like vaguely remember like huge <laughs> Marvel films? We happily talk about Al Cliver and Endgame from 1983. <laughs> yeah. the, the film, where at the end of it, all the extras don't walk into a helicopter that would be too small for them. They've obviously rented for the day. They just sort of shuffle and stand behind it. But we can see they're not in the helicopter because we can see their feet. Um... Max <laughs> says uh, Hulk Hogan was with Sly in Rocky 3 who's in Creed with Michael B. Jordan who's with Bassett in Black Panther I assume others have found that path yes Transvell did yes. and then the final one from him which I think possibly is a joke is <clears throat> take a deep breath for this Bassett is with Chadwick Boseman in Black Panther who's with Chris Hemsworth in Endgame not that one who's with Sam Neill in Thor Ragnarok who's with Tim Curry in Hunt for Red October who's with Tom Cruise in Legend who's with Val Kilmer in Top Gun who's with Bobby De Niro in Heat who's with Ben Stiller in Meet the Parents who's with Carl Weathers in Happy Gilmore who's with Hogan in Rocket 3 that's a 10 that's a 10 stepper excellent maybe that should be maybe that should be the other task is to is to fit everything into 10 steps has to be 10 steps Oh, oh, that would well, that probably be quite tough. You'd probably mm. find yourself like getting there at, like eight or nine, and then having to like, yeah. bounce back between oh, coasters. I need to take a detour. I need to get back to Tango. Yeah. If if, any, if if uh, to get to get Terry Hatcher um, <laughs> playing drums on stage in a really unsexy strip club. I very picked went into strip club and Terry Hatcher came out and just played drums badly for a bit. I think, ah, oh, you know what? I can't really get a tug out of this. Um, in the toilets, depressingly, while the bouncer bangs on the door. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you said that could be good. Actually, a ten, can you get a ten stepper? Yeah, that's a I I might, that idea. It might suit my talents a bit better, <laughs> um, or your lack of talents, I may say. Indeed. Yeah, just to say, but um, Anne Heche, uh passing away today. I think. <sighs> that's right. That was I didn't realise about that because I was um, I just went online and it said, oh, you know, she's going to be turned off life support. And I had no idea she'd even been in an accident. It wasn't. I don't know. Well, I. T- you can't really speculate, I suppose, but she she seemed like a deeply troubled person. I know that she had a really, really messed up childhood and had a lot of mental health issues in later life. And mm. uh, I, I know that she'd already crashed that day into something else and then sped off from the scene. And apparently she's mm. going at like 90 miles an hour, something ridiculous when she hit, hit the second house. And, you know, the car went straight through the house. I mean, it set on fire. It's just horrendous situation so yeah it didn't it seemed like there was a lot going on there but anyway regardless awful for everyone involved mm. i just thought i'd mention yeah. that because yeah. i remember for, yeah we have to get laszlo on for a, like a career retrospective just so we can talk about six days seven nights <laughs> can we and the psycho remake perhaps <sighs> with oh that's got vincent um vincent what's his name yeah, Vince Vaughn. I was trying not to say D'Onofrio then. That he'll crop up again later on. Um, so I guess now it's on to the movies. Uh-huh. And the we, movies. Are we going to talk about the one that we've both seen recently? I think so. Do you want to introduce this one? Yeah. yeah. So this is this is Red Heat. <laughs> with, 
<laughs> I chose that out of the air, but we actually talked about that like a couple episodes ago. I say a couple, probably about two years ago now. Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll let you do it. You've seen it more recently than me, so I'll let you do the preamble. Okay. Uh, so this is Prey, which is on Disney Plus. And um, it's a prequel to Predator, set in the 18th century amongst a, a Comanche tribe. Uh, and it's centred on this young woman who desperately wants to be a hunter. Uh, she's kind of, but she has to go through this like ritual. You know, basically, they each kind of wannabe hunter has to go through kind of write a passage, which is hunting down something bigger than a badger or whatever, and um, taking it out, and then obviously, you know, winning the uh, accolade. And I guess becoming <laughs> becoming a hunter within the tribe. If it was like one of those things where they say you have to go out and hunt something bigger than a badger, and you're like wicked, and you get up to get your bow and arrow, and they say da 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 da, but it's got to be smaller than a walrus, but weigh less than a calf, and you're like, mm, I am not running up to animals at night that I've tracked <laughs> down with a measuring tape. I'm afraid I'm just going to shoot them <laughs> and bring them back and see what happens. Yeah, we can weigh them afterwards. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Yes, it is. So, and obviously, well, as you might imagine, the predator crash lands in their uh, neck of the woods and um, essentially starts, like, well, hunting them. And so uh, predator becomes predator and then predator becomes prey, uh, etc. And it's like them, it's her basically kind of like, with a bit of help from my brother skulking around the woods and trying to take down this predator while the predator takes down other people, including some very unpleasant French trackers with pretty bad accents uh, um, who are just grotesque. And yeah, that's pretty much it really. So it's a, yeah, sort of like a stripped down, obviously it strips away a lot of the technology we've seen in the recent predator movies or basically every other Predator movie except the last third of the first one. And, yeah, so... And I think, as you said, it's kind of like the start of Wolverine for two hours. Um, yeah. Which has always they, been a dream of mine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's it, pretty much. And what did you what did you think of this? Well, this is the thing, right? Because um, you and I, I'm really intrigued just because I know we've both seen this film, but, like, uh, prior to coming on and doing doing this recording, we... All I know is that you weren't as enamoured with it as I am because uh-huh. when I wa- when I watched it, I had no preconceptions. Like, like for me, the Predator, you know, I'm not like hip steep into the canon, but you've got like Predator, which was just a, a great film. And you've got Predator Two, which I like because of its kind of scuzziness. Mm. Um, and then you've got after that, you've got Predators, which I love because of Adrian Brody, but I can't watch ever again because I cannot stand Topher Grace in that film. <laughs> and and this is the one I turned, I put it on remembered Topher Grace was in it as the credits came up and just turned it off and thought no I can't um then you've got I think there was one called Predator or whatever it was called the Predator uh, was the, the Predator. terrible <laughs> recent one <laughs> and that was the one with um uh Lawrence Fishburne yeah and a load of bad it. jokes yeah and I, ca- I cannot I cannot remember that film at all um so I like one and two and that's it I mean, and Alien vs Predator and Alien vs Predator 2 I, they they I remember one of them being very, very. I think the second one was extremely bad. The first one just oh, felt yeah. like a, 
a real missed opportunity. So I've the first I've, one isn't absolutely absolutely terrible, but the second one, wow, oh my yeah. god, that's the one where it's still it's like a teen drama set in and it's all set in the sewers and it's completely pitch black. And you can't see what's going on and you don't just, care what's going on. Yeah, you wonder what what the pitch was for that, where they said, right, what is it about people like about Alien vs Predator? Is it teens kissing in a sewer? And you're like, oh, I don't know. It was just uh, the time, wasn't it? It was the trash team horror craze of late 90s, early 2000s, I guess. You know, because all of the franchises went through that shit. Friday the 13th. Was it number five or six? Teen. The one where it's like there are people filming it and there are people reacting to it as it's kind of live streamed. It's amazing. It's so uh, bad. Are you, anyway. are you thinking of the um, Halloween Resurrection? Maybe I'm thinking of Halloween Resurrection. Is that Halloween? No, it, there is a fright. Is, is it like, um, what's his name, isn't it? The um, Is it Coolio or someone? And where he like karate kicks Michael Myers into a fire? Oh, God, yeah. Is that? But isn't there a Friday the 13th one as well? There's a real... Friday the 13th 5 or 6 would have been in the 80s. Well, Friday, yeah, Friday the Thirteenth. The there was the one with Paul Rudd, wasn't there? Which was that? That was six. Is that Curse? Friday the Thirteenth. You were mixing up your. That's Halloween. The oh, okay, Mike that's Myers. Halloween, right? Yeah, okay. that's ninety-five. And then Halloween Resurrection was, uh, I think it was like two thousand and two. These are all got, Halloween, in fact. Yeah, and Jeez. then you, so you got the Jason. The Jason reboot was, I want to say, two thousand and nine. So yeah, I, but either way, they all went through this phase. Yes, it's terrible. Yes. Um. But so so yeah, when I came to Predator, I literally like I I have a day with my son on Fridays, and when he has his morning nap, I check a film on. So I put this on, just thinking I'll have it on the background as he ties himself up to go back to bed. And I was so enthralled in it that I was very aware that like when he was going behind me, like playing with our blinds, I was genuinely having trouble like taking my eyes off the screen. So it's fantastic fathering, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, don't don't blow the blue socket. She's got a she's got a bloody axe on a rope. Um, but yeah, I, I, what what I liked about this was, like I said, it felt very stripped back. You know, those what it reminded me of, right? Is like you said at the start of the Wolverine when it's just Hugh Jackman covered in mud, like grunting naked in a forest, like eating boars raw. I'm thinking, right, two hours of this, wicked, sign me up. And then it turns into a tedious film. When yes. this kind of sticks to its guns, and what it reminded me of was a blend of that whole right. Um, this is this is this well as you Smith would say this is what's going to happen is happening is happened it's that kind of film where it's like this is the setting <laughs> off we trot and but it also i found it combined that with really the kind of lush cinematography that carries you through films like um a good example of, you know those those mid-2000s horror films that had beautiful like where it just shows this beautiful landscape. What was the one we talked about recently with um Steve Zahn and um Timothy Oliphant in? The perfect perfect getaway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right, that kind of thing. Or when you're watching something like The Grey, or you know, where you've just got the or the recent um oh the what was the one? The the one with Jeremy Renner, the only Jeremy Renner film I like. Wind River? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that kind so of Montana that, style. Yeah, that kind of beautiful. We just show you, you. You're almost as enamored with the landscape as you are with what's happening in the story. Yeah. And I liked how like how basic the story was, and like it's so it, it it was so straightforward that even if you have no idea about the you know 
if I was a 15-year-old coming to watch this, you don't need to know anything about the rest of the franchise. It's just this is the setup. This is what's happening. I found the Predator a genuine threat, and I thought the fight with the Bay was absolutely brilliant. Um, and and I and I I genuinely thought that the these this person trying to prove herself is completely is is completely like out everything from from the Predator. Um, I like the fact that the the men in the film kind of felt realistic in that they weren't just chiseled blokes they were just like skinny hunters who hunt from a distance and yeah, they're lean weren't they Rather yes that's the because uh, they, they never chiseled, really yeah. have to be buff why, yeah they? why would they have to be buff um and there's there was one scene in this i i especially liked i think i could describe it in a way that wouldn't be a plot spoiler there's a, there's a scene in this film where someone sacrifices themselves for mm. another character to escape yeah. and and it's quite a sort of um, it's it's a sort of tentpole sort of sequence, and I thought that it would cut back to the person who'd been saved by the sacrifice, and they would shout no in slow motion, and something would happen. But when the camera goes back, they're gone. They've actually taken the moment to leave, and it's kind of a really nice snappy. Right, this is all about practicality. This yeah. is all about survival, but there's no time for kind of uh, sentimentality. Yeah. I really, I, I really liked it. So I'm just intrigued as what your, uh, what your, uh, how you felt about it. I, I didn't dislike it, certainly. Uh, right, next, next film then. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, and I thought, yeah, I thought it looked pretty tasty. I love, I love the the setting. I love the fact that it felt like very remote tribe sort of thing very alone in the wilderness I like that that was well captured the fact that it's like an entirely like first nations cast is great even if they do speak english pay but uh and I, and the fact that it's a, a female protagonist was good um i think it is i it didn't feel like a particularly convincing uh, depiction of like Comanche life, I've got to say. I know that's not really the focus of the story, but I think it would have helped. Um, it's not just the kind of anachronistic sexual politics and that, but also the it's perfect just a bit hair of gene- and makeup. Sorry, the perfect hair and makeup. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. Oh, it really pissed me off that she never tied her hair back at any point. It's like, oh, for God's sake, come on, tie it back because it's just going to get in your face. I tie my hair back when I'm washing the dishes. I would certainly tie my hair back if I was going up against the universe's like most intense predator. Yeah, uh, or at least like a half ponytail, like uh, Eric Roberts. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. It, I'm not completely convinced by like her actions as in this deeply duty bound tribe. The fact that you know, in the brutal wild, in the face of cruel European invaders, that she's so impertinent and she doesn't really pull away and she just buggers off into the woods instead to do her own thing and she's actually quite a crap hunter i mean that's the that's the thing she's like she can't even get a rabbit at the start so she really has to learn fast no real problem with that that's fine um yeah i think the my main problem is the consistency and this is why i i i said offline that i i feel like i maybe i need to see it again because it didn't feel like it quite followed its own rules in terms of the threat that the predator that the predator kind of posed because this is like this is a creature right it kills a grizzly bear barehanded and then lifts the creature above its head in like a cry of victory 
my trousers were so far away from me at that point which is amazing and that's a really cool way of like showing just how threatening this thing is and yet and yet it comes to the point where you know she uh, you know without spoiling it i she's she's definitely having a one-on-one fight at some point with this thing and you know bear in mind a grizzly bear they can like their bite they they, i mean they can like crush bowling balls with their bite and stuff they're they're crazy strong so um and but i think what the reason i need to see again is because i've read that a it's made quite clear apparently in the film i don't remember this but this is like a proto predator so it's not like the version that takes on arnie for example in predator so it is a sort of weaker less experienced version okay but also oh, but bollocks to that though that it, that's that, that's the fans pushing their glasses up their nose you you see the film contains what you need to know it, like you well say, I, that's what i was thinking did i miss something i don't know no, how that's a fan them. pushing their glasses okay. up their nose in their mum's basement don't okay, worry about that. So that let's kind of put that aside but also i do think maybe to be fair like when it comes down to it like like yeah i think in that sacrifice scene we were talking about the it the creature the predator is wounded to an extent so he is kind of weakened so i suppose there's that but it's just the fact that you know she she is like not a very good hunter and then she ends up within like a day like squaring up to it one-on-one and that didn't quite work for me i kind of would have rather I, it's not really right to talk about what a film should have done instead of what it actually does, but it would have made more sense, I think, if she'd ha- actually been extremely skilled hunter and like really good, but no one believed in her because she was a woman, say, because that wasn't a role. That would have made more sense to me that actually, if she had those skills in the first place, um, that then, you know, finally she was able to do something for her tribe when they really needed her, uh, even though they doubted her. But I don't know why they went the direction of, oh, actually, she's quite useless at the start. But then she learns really quickly. That didn't seem to make it didn't seem to make narrative sense to me. But yeah. But yeah, I, it's, I, it's, I, I don't so think it's just I those don't think things really. It's it's it, the slightly generic depiction of Comanche life and slightly unlikely depiction of Comanche life, plus the arc of the main character, which I felt could have been different could have been handled differently but as an action film it was really really good nice clear action uh and oh, it's easily the best of the sequels that's for sure even though it's prequel but you know what i mean i think that's do you know what because i'm if <laughs> like i didn't know what you were going to say and i think if you're going to come away from it and your negatives were i watched a predator film and it was an accurate depiction of life at the time and, and the character arc, you're like, well, you are you watching a film for narrative threads and and <laughs> and accurate? So, see, yeah, that's fine. I can see your points, but yeah, they are things that really, really didn't bother me. I think I was just caught up in the moment, and I think in the you know in the world of a film, you know, th- yeah. there's there's a small character arc. I mean, I wouldn't say I was a, I was emotionally involved, but I was just it, it brought up the the boy in me of you know the the, the bear fight. Where I just thought, yes. this, this is fucking awesome. This is the kind of thing I would want to see, you know, as a, as a teenager, just, just saying, yes, yes, yes. And, um, and, and like, even with the, the weapon she sort of devises quite early on, so it's not really a spoiler, it's like an axe on a rope. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, that's cool. And it kind of brought out that part of it, which is, oh, that's just cool. I'm enjoying this. This is just really good entertainment. Yeah, so, yeah it's um, completely ridiculous, yeah. but it, that's fine. Yeah. 
but yeah. yeah i suppose as well perhaps um i don't think there's ever the reason why predator the original predator works so well and why it can't really be replicated is because it's such an amazing like deconstruction of hyper masculinity the way that it starts so hyper macho and it's quite deliberate you know it starts so macho and so overconfident and it just strips it down and strips it down until it's just a naked man outwitting an alien in the woods and i think it's 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 almost like comedic in like its structure and i suppose they're never really going to recapture that part of it the almost satirical element to it yeah it's um just fine but as long as if they can make more movies like of this quality wouldn't it be cool if they you know dan trachtenberg the guy who made this who also made 10 cloverfield lane you know wouldn't it be cool if he did a series of these sort of set throughout different ages and you know uh, just in different time periods in different locations i think that'd be pretty cool so it would certainly be better than the last 25 years of the shit they've been releasing anyway exactly even, even just seems a, to be trying to recapture something in the original it's like stop doing that you know there's such an opportunity here and yeah i will say that yeah they, they did pretty much nail it with this and i will watch it again and i think some of my concerns will be you, washed away you, you can watch this apparently in when it's in comanche in french with no subtitles and i think that would work i think you could probably uh, follow it because it's a pretty yeah um I, I, yeah if it was i mean the thing is again going back to the this film bringing up the boy and me if you think back to like if someone said oh you know this new thing it's, it's the predator versus the romans you think oh that's a comic i'd read give it to me yeah, or, or you know or, it's it's so yeah that, you know, that there's work. such an opportunity there to like yeah like the romans or something like that because of course in like these sort of ancient cultures as well is that there's because you know it's not it's pre you know video cameras and stuff like that stuff like that you know it, it's sort of like believable in its own universe because it's like it could have just been a forgotten event with some like like a, a you know roman platoon or whatever they used to call them like in the woods sort of thing you can imagine that that would work and it would be like okay what are what Cold are the kind of techniques running, yeah. and uh, strategies that this set of warriors would use against the predator etc mm. yeah I think that could work. There you go, Hollywood. That'll be ten grand. Pitch. Each, each. Even <laughs> yeah. though, I, even each though I just word. listened and nodded. Um. Okay. Do you wanna do you wanna do the next one because then I can quickly pour myself a rum and coke. Oh, absolutely. That's fine. Well, I've got a few. Um. Got a few newbies. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh. Well, what do we go for next? Let's go. Let's go for Elvis, because. Watch the screener of this one. It's on Sky at the moment, I believe. Or you can rent it from various places for a £1,000 if you really want to. It's basically, this is Baz Luhrmann uh, of, you know, Romeo plus Juliet and Moulin Rouge and Gatsby fame. It's Baz Luhrmann's take on the Elvis story from rags to riches to death. Spoiler alert. Obviously, it jumps around the place narratively as is standard for a biopic um but it's, yeah the secondary focus of the film is on colonel colonel parker played by tom hanks who's who was elvis's fat mysterious brilliant exploitative manager 
And um, but yeah, actually, Tom Hanks is completely unrecognisable in the role, to be honest. He is sort of obese. He's got this big nose and totally chinless and a bizarre accent. I'd like to hear this guy speak because I don't know where his accent's from. No one really knows where Colonel, Colonel Parker's from, though. To be honest, he didn't have a passport or anything. He's almost got like, sounds like he's got slightly Eastern European, occasionally slightly Irish accent. Anyway, he was a strange guy and he really shaped the course of Elvis's career, made him a ton of money, but also really quite constrained him. Um, more on that later. But yeah, as a film, it's three hours and it's three hours of biopic cliches, unfortunately, uh. albeit delivered with Baz Luhrmann's incredible style. And the editing is just, it's just dizzyingly incredible, but it's, it's like a kind of like, it almost feels dreamlike at moments, the way everything kind of like overlaps with other stuff. It's almost like a kind of fever dream, which is cool. It definitely looks cool. Definitely stylish. But the that the relentless pace is almost like it's very thinly papering the cracks in a very creaky narrative, which which actually in the final act, you almost see the truth behind what's actually been concealed by all the style, because it's in the final act where the characters actually spend time engaging with each other at length in like dialogue scenes. And just, you know, not even Basil Lemon can find an interesting way to film them uh, or make a quite dull script interesting it seems like a good performance from this guy austin butler i think it's a bit of a newcomer as elvis but i don't really know anything about elvis as a human so i don't know whether that's accurate or not and ultimately i think biopics of mega famous people kind of bore me by default because they tend to boil down to like a tick list you know of things there's an awful lot of wading through things you already kind of know and they you know they have to reference so like it'll be like his wiggle or his hair or it's like okay mm. yeah get through all that stuff and and let's actually reveal something here but it does it kind of shows how why elvis was so popular but also he why he's never really he never really has been cool in an alternative way because he was so constrained by um colonel parker's management he basically just ended up just playing vegas over and over again instead of touring and so he kind of became one of those people and it really restricted his rock and roll cred unfortunately um because he's clearly talented and amazing performer but yeah i with this film i i, I simultaneously felt like it's going on a bit but i also felt uninformed because of the quite shallow and whizzy style and and, and it's because it's Baz Luhrmann there's no real he has no intention of recreating the period as such because he just fills the film full of like really quite bracing anachronisms like you'll have hip-hop remixes of stuff and and then there's one bit where it's like Elvis versus Britney mashup uh which of course he's always done this with stuff like say Romeo and Juliet or Gatsby, of course. But I think the difference here is it feels a bit too recent for that in a way, because it's like, it's very obvious that if you're hearing a rap tune during Romeo and Juliet, it's like, okay. And, and plus that was updated to modern day anyway, or, you know, you hear like a modern rock tune and like Gatsby or something like that. It's like clearly 
you know, this isn't the music of the time. Here, it just seems, it just feels a bit like someone messed up the soundtrack somehow. But yeah, it was very stylish. I thought it was okay. But it does go to show there's only so much you can do to make a three-hour, very respectful biopic of an incredibly famous and beloved man interesting uh, through style. Uh, I don't, it's not, it didn't really excite me. I think that just thinking about biopics I mean for me if I take if I take musicians I, I really enjoy like like say Kurt Cobain like I've seen yeah. many documentaries of them of extremely varying qualities and you see something like what was it called Last Days which I've never been interested in it's just, just someone like guessing effectively and I just think yeah. I don't know what it is about what I want to know about someone, like whether it be someone like Charles Bukowski or Elliot Smith or Kurt Cobain, I'd rather watch a documentary of yeah. like actual or actual footage. Just of read them. about them, yeah. Yeah, read yeah. about them, or just like a celebration of their life and and, the, and their creations. Mm. I, if I, I I can't because yeah, like we basically we we, we got sent this screener and I and I had no intention of watching it and I thought I really hope Rupert wants to watch it um because this really isn't my thing. And I didn't put much thought into it until you were talking about it. And, and yeah, biopics, I don't know what I don't know what people want from them. I don't know what I would enjoy from them. Mm. Um, so have you got an example of a biopic that you, you've seen in the past? You thought, yeah, that is that did it right. Or are you, are you the sort of same way? Edward. I adore Edward. Mm, mm. And but the thing is, I suppose with that, it's. It's such an interesting concept. It's such a tight concept. The the idea that it's almost filmed. It's this the style and tone is almost in the in the style of one of his films, sort of thing, mm. but not tacky exactly, and actually quite heartfelt and yeah yeah and quite lovely in the end and and it just focuses on the right things like and speculates about the right things and fantasizes about the right things and it's like in the end you just you don't really know what's real and what's not, but it doesn't matter because it's served the story. I like, I, I, I read a piece where uh, about Elvis, about Elvis in the movie, where it was like interviews of various still living family members and loved ones like Priscilla and stuff. And, and they all came out of the premiere, like basically saying the same thing that, Oh, it was, I was like going back in time. It was like, it was so respectful and all this kind of stuff. I thought, ah, well, this is going to be boring then, isn't it? Because, <laughs> yeah, because it's like, I don't know, it, it doesn't need to be that way. Like, I thought Rocket Man, I like Rocket Man, for example, and that guy's still alive, for God's sake, and I still enjoyed that. <laughs> maybe it's just cause, I think maybe with that, it was more like, uh, I like the way they blended the musical numbers with the real-life footage a bit better. Um, and I thought the central performance was incredible, so... Yeah, but this, yeah, not so fond. Little bit. Fair enough. Bit of a shame. Bit of a shame. I've been enjoying just um, listening to that and your thoughts on prayer. That I kind of forgot we were doing a podcast. I'm supposed to be like doing my bit. So I'll um, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I'll leap in. I'll leap in with Hulk Hogan's 1998 straight to VHS out in the Ultimate Weapon. Um. In which he plays mercenary hardball cutter. Uh, it's. I'm gonna just like say that Hulk Hogan cannot act um, in the same way that I cannot do a backflip. 
it's simply not possible. Um, he so he he is a, a mercenary that again this is a film I watched so long ago so I'm going to make this brief. He is a um, a mercenary wearing a syrup of figs, which is oddly convincing because you know like when people wear a syrup you can you can look at the hairline and think come on but no it's uh, it, it's it's a ridiculous haircut but it is one that you're like oh, okay that could just be a dodgy haircut. Um, he is obviously ex special forces or whatever and doing now doing mercenary work and he his ex-partner's been killed and he gets partnered with his son who's this sort of initially like really clumsy bloke but through the course of a single revolution of an assault course suddenly becomes so many high fives it's like yeah okay you can be my mate they go away and <laughs> you take on the predator after that yeah. <laughs> just have to jump it through some tires um they get sent in by hardball cutters uh, sort of uh, you know what, what are they call the guy who books all of his all of his gigs to go in and take out this enemy camp and when they take it when they sort of take out the guys of this camp they realize they've basically been financing the ira um men who come in and they've got names like brendan and o'brien and their accents rupert i thought is this the ira because that man has got indian heritage in him and he's got like a long plait in his hair and he's talking with a broad american accent so i don't know if he's from belfast <laughs> or not um yeah it's astonishing so yeah so that happens and then cutter just decides to just i, I don't really I'm, i think this is a lot of bollocks actually and just mows them all down with a minigun from a helicopter Excellent. and then they 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 want their money back so they spend the rest of the film trying to hunt him down it's all set in um in the sort of desert in my state, like he, yeah. in my state. he lives in this this um like log cabin with a barn and his he's got this really loveless relationship with his wife because she's she's always saying to him oh you you're you're so distant you need to leave this life behind you and i thought he's not distant love he just can't fucking act that's the problem um he probably loves you to bits he's just staring off into the middle distance because that's all he can do he's probably got his lines nailed to a tree or something um so and then uh he's got an estranged daughter and they kidnap her and the whole film is him you know they they sort of want to kill him and swap him for her if you know what i mean the problem with this film is it's we it's weirdly like unbalanced considering it's a silly 90s action film it's quite boring because there's a lot of scenes um where it's just them talking and there's like a lot of like some of it's decent but a lot of it is flat comedy with this new partner because i think his name's viper or something um and it's It'll start off and it's this silly setup, but then when he goes to visit his daughter, her roommate is clearly like really drug adult and being Mm -hmm. pimped up by a roommate. And then, and then they just get beaten to death when he's being sort of hunted down and he watches his own daughter do a strip show and he's like shaking his head. And I think, don't get serious now. This is not that kind of film. And then and it, and it kind of builds to this this crescendo that just it all just felt very flat, even for like late 90s straight to DVD stuff where Hulk Hogan is he's just got no charisma. He, he's obviously like a big guy, but he can't act to the point that he just feels like this breeze block on a string being swung through the scenes. Uh, and it, it I just when it finished, I thought, oh, my God, like. If you think about Hulk Hogan's career, you've got like Mr. Nanny, Suburban Commander, Rocky Three, No Holds Barred. This is just, this is like the end of all that. This is straight to DVD, you know, before he probably went back into wrestling to get a bit of cash. 
this is like the lowest of the low and there's nothing there's not enough action in there for the action fans it's got like this kind of dull goofy humor that doesn't land it's misjudged and it's got like some pretty nasty scenes in it that don't really need to be in there but it doesn't matter because the whole thing just feels so cheaply put together um when was so it made? it's 1998 and also um i think i mentioned this in the last podcast but didn't get around to talking about the actual film picked this up in the charity shop for 49 pence came home and what's the only hulk hogan film on amazon prime uh, yes. that's right the ultimate weapon don't worry about that 49p wasted so um yeah it's it's not it's not like i honestly thought i've never heard of this it's like i can you do me a favor can you go to the ultimate weapon on imdb it's your thing happily because should be this is something, bookmarks, frankly. <laughs> this is click on the, the main image. It's him holding a gun, um, and looking at his lines off screen. I this is the image on my DVD. Are you looking at the same thing on like an orangey background? Oh, Hulk Hogan. Didn't we talk about this? Isn't there where he's like gently touching the, touching <laughs> no, the gun? Like no, 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 no. It looks like he's removing part of the gun, but it's staying in place because uh-huh. that black is his. Gl- if anyone listened to this, go to IMDb and type in, type in Hulk Hogan, the ultimate weapon. It's like he's taking out the middle part of his gun because his glove is behind oh, yeah. it. So th- it's like the gun is just like floating in his hand. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's. Ah. I couldn't I couldn't work out what was happening when I when I looked at the DVD cover for this. Um, he was past his prime at this point as well, wasn't he? In terms well, I mean, of popularity. And I'm gonna say, like, he's in good shape in this, and he could have been a good grizzled, but of course, he's got this ridiculous, like, swept back blonde hair and his, his sort of trademark mustache, and he just hasn't got. He can't. He looks kind of. He's big and kind of ripped, but he's sort of clunky, like he's got problems with his knees, and he's just. He's he's not believable as like a straight man to a comedy psychic. He's not believable as someone who's highly trained. He's not believable as a husband and father. He's just not a believable person. Like I said, he has he got just a better like, run than Rowdy Roddy Piper though. Oh, I would. Mm, I don't know because I, that man he, cannot run. Yeah, that yeah. Oh, oh, better run. I thought you meant like run of a career in the oh, movies. No, no. Oh no, he's yeah. Oh well, it's kind of like um, yeah, he's kind of like lumbering, but it's right. it's like a like jog. Whereas Roddy Roddy Piper really canes it and looks ridiculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was gonna, uh, hands down, Roddy Roddy Piper makes better films. Hands course, down. Yeah, yeah, because they're they're at least and I, like there was. Well, to be fair, I mean Roddy Roddy Piper was something like. Well, with they live, all hell comes to Frogtown. It's clear that he understood. He was in on the joke sort of thing. He understood yeah. the kind of level of like satire that was going on there. I'm not sure that Hulk Hogan's got that level of self-awareness. No. And he's got no he's got no he's got no charisma at all. Like mm. he is just wandering around this film and there's just nothing to it. But whereas when you mentioned, for instance, when you mentioned Rowdy Roddy Piper then, I instantly thought, oh, my God, I could just get a bottle of wine and I'd watch four of his films on the trot. I think like, like, do it. Yeah, I'd happily do it because these films are just fantastic. They're always entertaining, especially Tough and Deadly with Billy Blanks. Okay, where can we... Uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime or yeah. a charity shop in Canton where this DVD will be returned in the coming weeks. <laughs> you demand <laughs> your money back with interest. Yeah. <laughs> um, excellent. Well... Okay, that was 1998. Let's come back up today because I literally just came back from the cinema after watching Nope. Okay, this is Jordan Peele's. This is Jordan Peele's new movie, new horror. Obviously, yeah, it's his thing. So this is set 
in and around a horse ranch in California, I guess. It's run by Daniel Kaluuya, um, who we knew from Get Out. Jordan Peele's great movie from a few years back. Uh, it's run by Daniel Kaluuya and his sister is played by Kiki Palmer. Um, and they run it after the death of their father, played by Keith David Good. Um, and so a bit of a spo- it sounds like a bit of a spoiler, but actually he dies very, very early on. So it's like the first five minutes. So, um, but we get some flashbacks, thank God. So whew, get some more Keith. Um, so, yeah, some odd stuff starts happening around the farm. And then uh, they spot a UFO above the farm and they recruit this like tech store bro and eventually they recruit michael wincott thank god to try and capture footage of the ufo in the meantime uh the ufo is swooping down and basically munching horses and people uh but they want to get their impossible shot so the overarching motivation for the characters is to get a photo of the creature even as people are dying so it's it's not really a noble cause, I wouldn't say, but still, I suppose it's a motivation source. Not quite clear why no one has a camera on their phone. Uh, because I think it is set now, or at least recently, so I'm not quite clear why that is never a thing. Anyway, so I really liked Get Out. Loved it. I liked Us as well. I thought that was pretty bonkers. Um, and this film that apparently the original cut of this of nope that is almost ran to four hours and Mm -hmm. i just thought how it is too long as it is there's not enough content for this it's already way too plodding and ponderous and and also like it's called nope because it's and, and and like the the trailer makes it look extremely odd and um offbeat off kilter and that and the rev- i've seen reviews of this because uh, i've read reviews since and i've seen reviews saying telling you oh you should go in blind because you know it's just so mad you know the stuff that happens and i'm thinking no it's not it's really not the the essentials of this film are very simple it's a big monster it kills people they have to work out what is driving it essentially and then they have to outwit it it's it's standard standard monster movie it's sort of ufo meets monster movie type plot and there's this really scary early scene which actually gave me a lot of hope for the movie uh like properly creepy and but it's it's a red herring and that was so disappointing uh it's like the truth is out there and it's actually much more mundane than what i just saw what i it's sort of what i'd imagine a tarantino horror movie would be like it'd be long and ponderous and extremely violent and sometimes funny but too kind of arch and distant to really uh kind of like um engage with the characters should we say because they're obviously there's no intention then to behave like believable people it's a I mentioned Michael Wincott. He's in it. It's a slightly weird role for him. He never really says anything that makes any sense as such. I think it's almost like Jordan Peele just loves the sound of the deepness of his voice. So he yes, just makes yes, it say yes. just Keep random talking, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, there are things he says. And there are moments when he just starts like reading out song lyrics and stuff. And it's like, what? Why are you saying these things? Is it just because we like your voice? Which I suppose is fine because he has got an amazing voice. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. 
like it does it gets worse towards the end this movie and in the end it i gotta say it reminded me of none other than m night Shyamalan's the happening which as we know is one of the worst films oh dear that was a real knife to the bollocks wasn't it rupert <laughs> you saying that My because God. because a lot of the scares in this film actually involve like missing weather and especially wind there's a lot of that and there's oh this is constant repetition of like you know like the whole emp thing where all the electrics go down mm. that happens it must happen about 10 times in the film and it's not creepy is it, is it like blacking up the call of duty cutscene? um by the way menacing wind was my indian name <laughs> no one wanted to be in a tent with you today <laughs> yeah especially when i zip that fucker up <laughs> um yeah so and also not it's not only just the the wind based horror towards the end but also like all of the really really unlikely assumptions that the humans make about the aliens and all their motivations and their like modus operandi it's like how did you jump to that conclusion about this because it all comes down this like the solution to how they kind of like outwit it or defeat it in the end is spoiler alert um but yes it's so ridiculously like simplistic it it diminishes the threat to an absurd degree it's just like really it's like come on anyway there's yeah there's really lengthy final sequence where any character intentions or motivations are just totally unclear uh and they just run around doing stuff it's like they came up with an idea in their head the character but we're not party to it. So you'll just see them like running to the next position. It's like, well, I don't know why they're running there or what for or what's at stake because that's not clear to me. It's just people running around and then doing stuff, doing stuff where it would have taken an almost like years of study to really fully understand or comprehend that as a possible solution. So it's just like the strangest thing things thing where you said that yeah. people just seem to like really unravel yeah, yeah. these yeah very much that kind of thing where it's like they jump to a conclusion and it's like completely out there and quite unrelated yeah. to anything they've seen and yet it's completely correct it's that kind of movie and it goes on and on and i just thought really from what, from I, what I you said thought, this sounds this sounds very removed from his the rest of his oeuvre yeah, it feels like in the same way that The Happening felt like a movie that was that possibly Shyamalan had like written at college and like left in his drawer and thought he'd dig it out. Like mm. it feels like one of them really incoherent in terms of tone, in terms of storytelling. It's not scary. The creature, alien creature looks ridiculous. It it kind of I think it. It's, it's ponderous. I, I think it's as a horror movie, it doesn't work. Like there are scenes where, because really, when it comes down to it, like I've often said that like horror is is like the purest form of cinema in a way because it's because you strip it down to its essentials and it, it requires so much on in every aspect of like the filmmaking craft, if you see what I mean, like the the cinematography, the the editing, the acting, everything kind of like the makeup, all that. And so it's a, it's almost a language in it, in its own right. And I think he plays with the language of horror cinema here in a way that really doesn't work and does not maximize 
the fear factor or the intensity factor. Like there's one scene in particular that springs to mind where like they're under attack by this huge like alien craft and Daniel Kaluuya is in his car and he's got that kind of he does that blank expression extremely well but it's like I don't understand why we're focusing like while all this chaos is going on we're focusing just on his face in the car and it's completely blank and there's no fear in his eyes or anything it's just like why are we why have you chosen this shot yeah it's unusual but it's also extremely dull to to be watching this person's face while the interesting stuff happens elsewhere yeah so i just don't think it even works on a just a raw horror movie level oh that is a shame very, very disappointing and how has it been um received outside of this podcast i think it's been received pretty well Okay. Uh, pretty well I don't think as well as his previous movies so it's obviously been mm. a bit more divisive I mean it costs a massive amount more than his previous films and it's a lot longer but I'd say it's it's half the movie that Get Out was for example yeah I think and, and what worries heard... me is that he's kind it seems like he's kind of disappearing down a rabbit hole with each film because Get Out was pretty tight all the way through obviously had its weirdness towards the end but then us, I really liked, but it did go off a bit, you know, into metaphysical territory. Yes. Towards the end, which is okay, that's bearable. But this one, it's like, it's all, all of that. Well, it's sort of pseudo metaphysical, overlaid on top of actually what is fundamentally really quite an ordinary, slightly boring UFO attack plot. Like, it just made me want to watch other better movies, one of which I'll talk about later, but also... Well, you've seen Independence Day, have you? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, at least Independence Day had a bit of pace to it, Jesus. And it had Bill Pullman in it. Exactly. And what was it, Randy Quaid stumbling oh. around as an old drunk pilot? Brilliant. Yeah. Unlike in real life where he just stumbles around as a drunk dot 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 um uh, well okay well, but, in a while. no that man has a beard now i am going to talk about uh briefly about the master with cracked fingers which is an early 70s jackie chan film because every now and again much like um the aforementioned rowdy roddy piper jackie chan is someone i just i just want to see one of his films because yes. there's nothing quite like them um and so this this was another dvd pickup from a shop which luckily is non-prime another otherwise that's 99p wasted um well 98p and um I put this on and it's it's Jackie Chan in a very early role from what I understand and he is a uh, a waiter in a restaurant this is all set in my history is terrible but it's set a very long time ago like you're talking like you know pre-1985 Rupert no this is sort of ancient China and he is a waiter in a little restaurant and his father is quite overbearing and he is secretly having martial arts lessons from an old beggar called the man who isn't there which if i was jackie chan i would say i don't think that name is entirely accurate <laughs> because if you are if you're like here aren't you under a lot of rags with dodgy teeth it's yeah that seems almost like a contradiction in terms like if he wasn't here then 
would be no one to whom to refer <laughs> yeah, as I the said, man. <laughs> if I walked into a cave and a man stood there and I said, what's your name? And he said, I'm the man who isn't here. I'd say, I don't think the acoustics in this cave are very good because I don't think you fully caught my question there. <laughs> I think you give me a different answer. I think you're trying to think of a <laughs> Bill Murray film from the late 90s. Um, yeah, so he gets trained by him and he gets embroiled in these sort of local gang fights. And the the more he gets into these fights, the more his father punishes him. At one point, he stops his sister getting raped by a, like a gang of drug dealers. And his father, instead of saying, thanks for that, takes a different path <laughs> and says, right then, you're going to have to plunge your fist into a bucket of smashed glass, I'm afraid. All right. Which is not what I would have done. But yeah, so he does that. And I think that's where the, the cracked fingers thing comes from. Because I don't see him putting pseudocreme on it. So it probably would heal in a, in a cracked fashion. It, it's it's a cool film. It's got that kind of bonkers... I mean, for instance, towards the end of this film, I think I went out in the kitchen to get a cup of tea and I came back in. And suddenly he wasn't fighting off these goons anymore near like a, a restaurant. He was suddenly in this arena in the desert, like fighting off bosses like I was playing Tekken. And it's one of those films, if you turn away for a second, you'll miss like key sequences. Um, it does show a lot of early moments of the, the Jackie Chan that we will all grow to love, where it's very set piece based, very carefully choreographed set pieces. Like a lot of it is just kind of, well, not a lot of it. Some of it is just, you know, you're playing martial arts, two people fighting or one person against a group of people. And then you'll see a sequence that you can tell he's had more of a hand in where he will say, be fighting as he's holding a tray of tea and he'll keep the tray of tea going as he fights or one where he hears a girl screaming in a, in a, in a house and he fights his way up the stairs, like gets thrown out of a window and then like fights his way back up the stairs to get back to where he was. That kind of sort of the humor comes into it a little bit, which is obviously what was expanded upon in his later career and makes, makes the key films. So it's, it's it's a fun curio. I don't know if I'd go back and watch it again. Um, right. But um, yeah, if you want to see, I guess where was it? So you got you got hot shots where he dips his knuckles in a load of like candy and sweets and stuff. Yes. Then before that was it blood sport where kickboxer. he dips his knuckle, kickboxer. Yeah. So nice. this is probably where that comes from. I would guess. Right. Okay. The the etymology of the bucket of glass. My third album. <laughs> Um, so yeah it was like oh that's where that comes from but um yeah so master with crap fingers um i know one of our listeners uh, lee has this jimmy automatic sorry has this on dvd as well and it's definitely worth a goosey but i don't think it's one i'd go back to whereas i have been keen to watch rumble in the bronx for a solid year now and i cannot find it anywhere yes some of these it baffles me sometimes i look up some of these movies that i'm desperate to see from like the late 80s early 90s or whatever and it's like, it's like i go on justwatch.com which is extremely accurate and it says nowhere you can see it nowhere absolutely nowhere what's, uh, that, what's that website called justwatch.com and it it is very good and it's very accurate but of course when it says i can't get it anywhere i go straight onto youtube and i'll find it with <laughs> greek or possibly arabic subtitles and i'm fine with that it'll be like 140p <laughs> the sound is the sound will be like the sound of dustbins being dragged along concrete but it's fine i'll watch it anyway see i think my problem is that whenever i think oh 
I really fancy watching Rumble in the Bronx. I, like, I haven't seen anywhere. Let me just go on. And I always go to forfucksake.co.uk. And that's exactly what I say after I visit the website. Oh, it's not, it's not streaming. Oh, for fuck's sake. I basically have to just, like, just give in and just spend a lot of money on... I say a lot of money. Two quid on on ebay and just pick up these films like rumble in the bronx that's the film that made him in america like why can't i see it online for a year um, yeah uh, yeah ebay is it's it's the only place isn't it really i bought another blu-ray off ebay because i watched the most amazing film i've seen in a good long while but i'm not going to mention it here because i'm saving it for halloween because it's that good bloody so, hell okay <laughs> So I've already I've already mentioned the first power and this is something else which is on a par almost. Is this going to be a Halloween episode? Oh yeah, it's gonna oh be, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's I'm all over it. Um, brilliant. So okay, so the only way you can watch that is by either going on eBay or going to a charity shop in Canton. Yeah, in Canton. Okay. Um, all right. Well, again, I'll come back up to date drag us into the current year and i'll talk a little bit about light year i won't talk for long about this um because kids film <laughs> stupid film for kids uh disney plus obviously light year this is the the concept behind this is as it says at the start is that the kid from toy story watched this movie when he was a kid and that's why he became obsessed with buzz Lightyear. so that's that's the concept now, okay, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. I'll just explain the plot very briefly. Buzz Lightyear crash lands. This is like a real human Buzz Lightyear, but obviously an animated form. Uh, he crash lands on a planet, uh, which is hostile. He, on the way out in an attempt to escape, he pulls off a, a risky maneuver and fails and ends up stranding the whole ship and all its crew on this planet. And they're screwed so they have to kind of settle on this planet now he's racked with guilt and he needs to get everyone off the planet and back to earth so he he does these flight tests um in order to test out this crystallic fusion uh in order to you know, obviously breach the speed of light or whatever and anyway every time he does one of these tests he it takes him four minutes but back on the planet years pass and people just get old and his best friend gets old and finally dies then buzz finally gets it right and manages to you know get the hyperspeed working by that point he returns to the planet and finds it under siege by a robot army led by the evil zerg um so he ends up teaming up with a junior squad of mercenaries basically to take down zerg and the uh, and the robots to save the planet and one of the mercenaries is the granddaughter of his best friend because obviously so much time has passed so that's the story and it's it's pretty cool in its own terms i think the problem with it is it it suffers for me from the whole toy story link because like because the whole thing about buzz lightyear in the toy story films was uh, the appeal of him was always that disconnect between reality and what he believed to be true because of course in the original he believed that he was a space ranger but the reality was he was a toy that was the joke and they managed to find clever ways for the first three movies to joke uh, or crux of the entire initial trilogy Rupert. pretty much yeah they did find 
you know, in the second film, they basically he meets another version of uh, Buzz, which sort of brings the joke back. And then in the third one, there's the whole thing about him being reset and there being a Spanish version, which is one of the funniest things in the world. And so there's that. And then in number four, they couldn't think of anything to do with him. And that's why he's dull and forgettable. Anyway, this movie on its own, Lightyear, obviously it doesn't have any of that. It's just this sort of the human version of it. And I think it doesn't, it almost doesn't need it. It, it. I think it could have just stood alone. It's almost like it's just branding. Anyway, but whatever. I mean, it still, it looks amazing. Like, I love the retro futurist style in this. And there's some, there's some pretty cool action scenes. There's some good, there's some pretty sophisticated themes, I'd say, in this movie. It's for slightly older kids, I would say. There's this whole thing about the need for human contact and cooperation and not working alone. And there's all this stuff about the value of time and and sacrificing time. And as a story, it doesn't really make that much sense. Not And, and actually not just because of the time travel element, but also because the, like, Zerg's violent pursuit of Buzz Lightyear makes no sense in this film when you realise the truth. And I don't think it's any spoiler to say that it's someone that, buzz knows because if you've seen any other toy story films then it will be quite clear but it makes no sense that he's tracking him down so violently and like shooting up the place because actually he just wants to talk to him so it's like he could literally just come and talk to him face to face it doesn't really you know make a slightly boring film if he literally just came along and said oh by the way buzz can we have a chat it wouldn't really be quite as exciting but yeah and so that doesn't make sense but as a movie it is it's pretty good it's more amiable than funny i would say but it is charming and it's exciting uh so i think overall it's it's decent and it it deserved better than it got at the box office i would say because i'm surprised i'm surprised oh really pretty much yeah oh that is a shame because when you started talking about it i thought yeah this seems like a film that really did need to be made and it's just a way of continuing a franchise but um yeah at least it does take a different take but then i think it's such a different take from the Toy Story films in terms of tone and it just, it, it almost didn't need to be this. It could have been, well, it, maybe it could have been set in the same universe or something like as in, you know, it could still be space rangers or whatever, but just, I don't know. The Buzz Lightyear stuff seems that kind of just drags it down. It's just, it almost seems like a, it's dragging a ball and chain of like a, great trilogy of movies um and yet there are four of them yes let's not talk about the fourth one. Oh, okay i haven't seen that one i don't think it's just is it, it um, which is the one that's really dark which is the one that's really dark and ends the fourth oh really no well well oh the, well the third one is like a pretty intense ending yeah uh, that, that's the, that's the yeah. one i liked yeah yeah that was great but the fourth one so and and they, you know, the third one ended had a pretty much perfect ending because it had this brilliant like action sequence which had this great moment towards the end where it was yeah. like you know like everything is lost and then yeah to this hope and then and then of course there's a nice final sequence which is almost like rounds off brings it full circle yeah yeah great stuff and then they thought I'll oh, make a fourth one which not only is completely different in like tone um and not funny and uh, uh. <laughs> and 
and just uh, like massively pared down in terms of scope from the previous one but also it it has like an ending it it, all, it actually makes the previous films worse it's like as in you because you're thinking well it, you had the perfect trilogy end that way and then it's like ah oh, but you know that it's going to be a slightly crapper ending coming up it's like why 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 do you need that well that's not what the rest of the world thought although was it because the fourth one was quite loved it was well regarded i mean but you look at the kind of like the acclaim for the first three and it is ridiculously like there can't be another trilogy out there which is so so well loved the only other trilogy i suppose i could think of would be probably the before trilogy you know the richard link later before with before sunrise Hawk. sunset before midnight yeah which are great well, movies and cons- very consistent a little bit of a trivia on those films as well the eastern hawk's middle name is actually brit fancies me Okay. It's yeah, a little. Uh, is that he, how it's pronounced? Or? He does a TED talk. It's only ten minutes long that everyone should watch and dance around in the ritualistic fashion, where they put their trousers in the middle of the room and they don't even look at them, and they just dance and listen to Ethan Hawke talking. Um, and he mentions the fact that he did a film called Predestination, and he's like, "Oh, you know, when people saw this film called Predestination, and I said to my screen out loud, I did Ethan, and it's one of the best films ever made.'" And everyone should talk about it all the time, even when they're ordering coffee. So it doesn't make sense in the context of what they're doing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm probably not going to watch Lightyear because it, like, I, I, I watch the I'll happily like watch the, you know, the Toy Story films on loop. Weirdly, haven't seen the fourth one because uh-huh. I'm going to send and I guess it'll happen at some point. But I'll never think oh, I'll watch Lightyear, my, you know, again, unless my son puts it on at some point. But I will watch. I mean, my son is surprisingly enamoured with it because he loves Buzz Lightyear. So, and it is clearly Buzz Lightyear. So I suppose on on that level, maybe I'm just completely wrong. Maybe it absolutely should be about Lightyear because he's clearly a draw. Now, oh yeah, I forgot to mention, it's not Tim Allen. It's not Tim Allen. It's Chris Evans. And he does a pretty good impression. It doesn't really matter. With this, we do, he does an impression of Tim Allen. Well, it's not literally, but yeah, he does sound like him. He is the same. I mean, I could kind of see why they didn't go with Tim Allen, because I suppose you sort of associate Tim Allen. His delivery is quite different because uh, he's a toy. <laughs> That's the thing. And it's like it's quite a silly kind of uh clueless delivery isn't it whereas the light year in this movie is much more competent and a bit less kind of goofy and cheesy if you see what i mean oh like ted levine yes exactly right. but i'm surprised he didn't get ted levine to do it you've always got subtitles yeah if it was him in a pilot at the start of the film hurtling towards the sun and then it's and then and then it's like we we can't hear you <laughs> we, oh, go, go put the radio closer to your mouth and open your mouth when you talk ted sorry buzz um yeah um well actually this moves on really nicely because i'm going to go from chris evans to chris evans because i watched the gray man and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, and it, it was a really bizarre thing because 
I, w- I was in work and someone said to me, have you seen The Grey Man? And I was like, oh, is that the one with Ryan Gosling? And they said, yeah. I was just, it's just like a really fun action film. So that was it. That was, it's a fun action film. Oh, wicked. You know, I like Ryan Gosling. Like, I, I can People said really... the same about Red Notice, mind. Yeah, you know, that was, yeah, but they, well, they've got to say it's, it's a really, it's really good action film. And then you said, okay. And as you walked off, they turned around and you missed it. They said, but it's really self-indulgent and irritating. And I think that's what you missed. Okay. With, with this, like, it's almost like it sets up a set up a franchise, but it, it doesn't need to be. This is fine. And I just want to say this because I've actually spoken to a few friends who've been gone into this film. I, I get a feeling it's a film that if you, the mindset you go into this film with very much dictates what you take from it. So someone said to me, Oh, have you seen The Grey Man? It's a really fun action, really fun, silly action film. And I was like, oh, we're going to watch that. And on my one of my, fri- my you know, my, my son Fridays, boom, on in the morning. That's what I got. But I've had other friends who've said because Ryan Gosling's in it, and I guess because of the trailer, I haven't seen the trailer, they expected uh, a more sort of serious film or something with a bit more depth. And because they didn't get that, it was like, oh, it's a bit of a waste of time, which is understandable. I went into it with a mindset of like, because my relationship with Ryan Gosling, right, is mm-hmm. I I am deeply in love with him. And f- like with stuff like the other guys, uh, sorry, the nice guys. And yet when I see him in Drive, I'm bored shitless with him. And in mm-hmm. this, he is doing his, it's like half and half. There's really dry humor, but there's also a lot of um, like lips tightly shut, staring off into the middle distance with a beard that's kind of almost a goatee. Should he shave down that a little bit and just have like stubble instead? But more to the point, it is about <laughs> Ryan Gosling. Um, he is a skilled like off the grid assassin who learns that the CIA, that uh, Billy Bob Thornton is his kind of handler. He is what he thinks he's doing for the greater good maybe isn't the case and there's this MacGuffin that gets he steals from uh, somebody takes down and it's all about trying to uh, him trying to uncover if what it is he's really working for and what he was created for as everyone in the world seemingly led by Chris Evans goes after him and this film ticks a lot of boxes right you've got Ryan Gosling as this sort of silent moody assassin you got Anna de Armas is this, uh, like she's a very capable field agent, but she's brought into it. And does she trust him? Does she not? Billy Bob Thornton as the sort of hard ass mentor that is, and I'm going to say it, invariably going to get killed off at some point to to get some sort of emotional involvement, you know, into oh, yeah. the character. And Chris Evans is just wonderfully like cheesy and anarchic as this. You know, he stinks of John Paul Gaultier. He is wearing tight tight trousers that go down to his shins he's wearing espadrilles he's not wearing socks he's not wearing socks he's got he's got a polo shirt on that is tighter than my dad the day before payday (laughs) and 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 it's it's this it's just thinking i know what i'm getting here because it's on the screen in front of me i'm gonna get cheesy jokes over the top fun Uh, and and that's what i got like when it finished i thought do you know what they could make six of these films and i would watch them and i'd be happy because this is kind of geared towards me as a man in my mid-30s who fancies Ryan Gosling, is up for like a silly villain and is up for these ridiculous over-the-top stunts. Bizarrely, 
Uh, whereas I said, some people went into this expecting a bit more because of because of um, Ryan Gosling's involvement and because of, I assume, how he's presented in the trailer where it's like him staring at things as the camera spins around him in slow motion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah Smith, one of our regulars, said it got a bit fast and furious for him where he it's, it was like it got too silly um, and too cheesy. And But I thought, well... Because I went in with that mindset, and I know the whole rule is like I don't like things blowing up bigger than a shed. But when it's an action film, all bets are off. I'm up for it. It's kind of like I feel like it's the kind of film that Michael Bay would make if he wasn't a complete prick. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, I I watched it, and I was just every time something silly happened or like a really wry one liner was delivered, I just thought good. And you know, and then as as the as the sequences went on and things happened, I thought good, good, yes, tick tick, good, good, down my clipboard. Um, so yeah, I can't imagine this ever being a franchise, but I'd be more than happy for it to be because, in the same way, I enjoy the John Wick films, if you know what I mean. It, yes. or, or, or nobody like, it's fine. I'm enjoying. I like. It's good to watch a good modern action film and expect yes. nothing more from it than to be entertained for uh, two hours and two minutes, apparently, for this. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen the trailer, so I have no expectations. So you are managing my expectations. Yeah, it, 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 it would be interesting for you to go into this just thinking, like, this is a silly action film. Click, yeah. bottle of beer in your hand and just go with yeah. it. And I bet you you'll have a good time. Uh, but as I think if I said... I expected more. I wanted this to be a more sober approach to maybe a more sober uh, look at the Bond character. Then you'd think, oh yeah, this is just a load of twaddle. Actually, I think it's very much mood dependent. Okay, I'll bear that in mind. So that's on Netflix, isn't it? Yes, it's a Netflix uh, funded one. Yeah. I wonder how long they're going to go on throwing money at like mega stars. To be, I mean, you, uh, as you would have heard. Netflix is kind of slipping in its mm. um, subscriptions, which surprises me really, because because of there are so many films like this, and I suppose like Red Notice, you know, these are they're obviously getting the hottest film stars on earth at the moment, but I'm not sure. I think it's not working. Is. I mean, I think part of the problem is it's just the, like a lot of these, a lot of the stuff is just low quality, isn't it? You know, like I, looks, someone like Red I'm Red gonna. Notice, I'm going to save you a bit of time, Rupert. I think the problem is that now, and I am doing air quotations here, now that it's 2022 and COVID is a kind of a memory, people can, if you like, go outside. <laughs> and I think that is what a big problem is. I think that is definitely a problem, but it doesn't It doesn't explain why, like, Disney Plus is so, is, is so popular. Although I suppose with Disney Plus... You look at their back catalogue, though. Yeah, Netflix that's no the back thing, catalog. And it, they've... <sighs> It's sort of like essential for a parents, really, isn't it? That's what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I didn't realise that. I was reading like the figures the other day for like the various streaming services in the UK, and Netflix is it's under five percent market share, which surprised me. And whereas like Prime is like twenty five percent, so that was quite surprising to me well, that this is really this is really interesting actually i just assumed netflix was the the, the big bollocks the playground, yeah. so. and, and everyone else was kind of gradually catching up maybe but yeah, yeah i didn't realize it was quite so disjointed i suppose with prime oh. there's all sorts of other stuff you get <laughs> so, subscriptions so. so my love film dvd subscription should i cancel that is that like one percent or something now i had that to the bitter end i had it's so a, many films a, remaining <laughs> on that list. and so many of them 
I would like select because you, you did it in like a priority order, basically the ones you wanted definitely next, high priority, etc. But literally about half of the films on my list were not currently available. <laughs> we'll let you know, sort of thing, and they were never going to be available. Never going to get DVD release. Rumble in the Bronx, not happening, mate. But, but, but <laughs> what, so what Brian. was? What, let's, so let's, two things to talk about. Um, one is is market share. The second, what was the last film you had from Love Film? I wish I could remember. I wish. Oh. I tell you, what, I wish. Almost, I wish I had had the list. No, we would see what I actually got through from them because I put everything on that bad boy. Some really obscure shit from the past. And actually, in a way, it was. I think I held on to it for so long, well into the streaming generation, precisely for that reason. is because, you know, when you're kind of searching for something to stream, you've got so many choices and it takes a thousand years to yeah, decide, yeah, yeah. etc. And you end up, you probably end up compromising in some way in your own mind because mm-hmm. you're like, well, I could watch this obscure <laughs> Hungarian drama from 1993 or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> or... I could watch something which is much easier and doesn't require subtitles, etc. And because mm. you, you go, you go with it. You tend to go with the easier option. So you know, whereas with Love Film, you didn't know what was coming through the post. It would be some weird Milosh Forman film from the mid seventies. Like, okay, <laughs> let's watch it. I have to watch it now, don't I? Yeah, it reminds me of my, my brother's taken to the, and if you listen to this Transvaal, the wonderful habit of, like, he will, when he's in a charity shop, if he sees films for like 10 or 20 pence, he'll just bring them up when he sees me on a Tuesday. Yeah. And I've watched one of them, I've got three left to watch. But I quite like that, like on a Friday, fanning out my hand and thinking, right, what have I got here? <laughs> and obviously, whatever, it's like, am I going to watch this film with Rob Lowe, that's like a British football hooligan <laughs> film or am i going to watch no way back from 1995 with russell crowe and helen slater it's hard to say <laughs> when the thing it's like the joy of limitation isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah brilliant uh miss those days i think what maybe maybe this is what you know you got that weird option on netflix and possibly on other services as well where it's like surprise me it will say uh, and it's like, when would you ever use that? Why would you ever want to just completely randomly select something, even from your own list? Um, but maybe I'm just going to start using that for the whole site. Just completely randomly choose something. It'll shall be we, like uh, having uh, the old uh, love film list back again. Shall we make a deal then? Before the next episode, we'll click on Surprise Me on okay. Netflix and just talk about what we saw. Okay, excellent. Okay, we'll yeah. do that. Um, right. Let's talk about another UFO movie, but a good one this time, called Signs. Oh, uh, God. Hang yeah. on, have we talked about this before on the site? Poss- quite possibly. It must have been a while ago, though, mind. <laughs> well, anyway, it was, okay. it was released in 2004, yeah. Yeah, 2002, actually. So. Two? Oh, wow, okay, yeah. so I corrected. Maybe, well, maybe I need correction, I don't know. But anyway, this is, uh, <laughs> this is currently on Disney Plus and on Prime. Uh, so no excuses. So yeah, this was the third film in that great first run by M Night Shyamalan after Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, and and I suppose it was the first to really show off his goofy idiosyncratic sense of humour because it's almost a comedy at times. It's set in rural Pennsylvania and it stars Mel Gibson as an ex-reverend living on a farm, and he has a son and a younger daughter, and his br- younger brother helps out, played by Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. 
There's only 19 years between them, I suppose. But yes. Anyway, Mel Gibson's wife is dead and he's struggling to keep the family together and struggling to keep sane, especially when these crop circles start appearing, showing its age, isn't it? Uh, and then aliens land and start harassing them and the entire world. So it's a global attack, but this is a very small scale horror drama, which focuses completely on the family uh, in, in the farmhouse and their response. And the kind of family dynamics that the invasion triggers in them. And we get glimpses of the attack by the television um, and through some glimpses in of the little green men in the fields. And it's very much a less is more kind of idea. It really is about, it's a film about a man who's lost his faith, I suppose. It's like, can he protect his family and have his faith resurrected? And there is more to this film than meets the eye. And one of the theories I've seen put forward about this is that what we assume to be aliens are actually biblical demons and i thought well hang about okay where are you getting that from but actually it kind of be consistent with the roles of well mel gibson's character obviously but also the daughter as well because the monster's weakness is of course when this holy man rediscovers his faith and also when he applies a solution based on these various divine signs he's picked up along the way. And of course, one of the main solutions is water being holy water. So I think there's a lot going on on that level. There's a lot of symbolism, which is quite plausible. So, however, uh, yeah, I'm still not sure I completely that all of these signs that he's picking up on kind of completely makes sense. Um, but I can't really go into too much of that without spoiling it. It's all crafted like this rather old fashioned sci-fi movie in the style of like Invaders from Mars with the music and the font and the slightly over the top acting styles. Probably too deadpan and goofy to properly recreate that mood. It has some good scares, though, mostly jump scares, but well-earned scares nonetheless and built up through a lot of tension He's just a great craftsman when it comes to tension, Shyamalan, I think. And I think Mel Gibson is particularly good in this. And Shyamalan taps into all that repressed rage and and that kind of vulnerability you can see in Gibson's eyes. I think he captures that really well. I do wish that Shyamalan hadn't given a key role to himself because he's an OK actor. But this is a big scene that could have been way more impactful than it is. You, when you've got Mel Gibson sort of almost career best and you've got then you've got Shyamalan indulging himself, it doesn't quite land. Why? Yeah, that is. is it, is, And is it just indulgement? Is there no excuse? Yeah. To not? I mean, he's, yeah, I don't know why it's him, why you choose himself to do that role, because it's such a key role. It's only one real scene, but it's such a central role in the film. But mm, so that was it's a bit distracting. I am very fond of Signs without absolutely loving it. I think it's genuinely funny and scary at times, but I think the last act is a bit of a letdown because it, it's almost like it becomes a slave, the, the narrative, to the, the jigsaw nature of Shyamalan's storytelling. And in a way, when something becomes a jigsaw like that, it becomes a bit mechanical as a result. See also Christopher Nolan. But I guess, I think it's meant to be a divine conglomeration of events, I suppose. But it didn't really work for me because a lot of what happens in that final sequence where this 
this divine conglomerate conglomeration is meant to occur i think the stuff that happens anyone would act in the same way anyway regardless of any signs they picked up along the way they pretty much do what they do in that last sequence if there was some like inverted knee like mofo broke into their home and tried to poison their son like i think they probably would just do what they do anyway i'm not sure you would need a divine message from anyone else so it doesn't quite hang together in the final act i wouldn't say uh but yeah it's an interesting film and i think it's beautifully crafted and it has real atmosphere and good tension just kind of lose it a bit at the end well, I, this is a film that has escaped me for a very long time, and f- through no real reason. Like, I, I do actually want to watch it. Um, yeah, and, and it is streaming, did you say? Yeah, Disney Plus and Prime. And maybe, yeah, maybe if you haven't seen it before, watch it with that, uh, the kind of religious element in mind, rather than there's an alien movie. Maybe there is some more to it than I'm really thinking. Uh, but yeah, I but just that last sequence is so it's almost like you know when a film presents a scene or a moment or a climactic moment where it's like oh this is meant to be the moment when it's like everything just falls into place and it's like well not really i think this would have happened regardless anyway so a bit disappointed from that aspect but up until that point it's great so well the ending is crap then effectively mm, oh, yeah I think it's it gets away with it because everything else has been so solid up to that point and like the kind of dynamics that have been built up to that point are so have been well uh, they've been well stitched together and nicely performed and it's convincing family unit etc so it gets away with it just about but it's the kind of like the faith-based supernatural almost supernatural part of it which i'm not quite sure hangs together it's almost like Can a I- twist it doesn't need to be there basically okay i'll have a goosey of that then basically i'm reading about it on wikipedia and judge myself from there <laughs> just do a review based on the synopsis yeah. what was the film we did before where you said so basically you're telling people to read a wikipedia article Oh, it was it was it was the one with Kirsten Dunst and Ryan Gosling, actually. Yeah, I can now update that list to include so Elvis as well. Um, there's two films. Um, I watched a comedy for a change. I'm not right. known for my love of comedies because all I like doing is frowning and staring at breeze blocks um, that occasionally stained by tears that aren't mine. Um, can you come around and weep in a breeze block for me to look at? Oh, no, i got to go to work, son, sorry. Okay, bye, Dad. Happy birthday, by the way. Um, <laughs> I watched Underdog, uh, sorry, uh, Dodgeball, a true underdog story with um, Vince Vaughn. And this was a film I remember watching a lot. Well, this came out in 2004, so I would have been mm, mm, like 56. And I remember watching this a lot when I was that age. And is this something you've gone back to at all? Not recently, no. Well, no. I think you. I think you should. Okay. Because. Because it's got Rip it, Torn in it. 
Yes, obviously, because it's got Rip Torn in it, who has two of the best lines in the film. Well, and this is this is what I wanted to say, right? This seems like... So, the, the, the Dodgeball story, uh, it's Vince Vaughn, you've got Alan Tudyk, who's in the amazing Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, uh, Ben Stiller, Rip Torn, Hank Azaria, Justin Long. Justin Long is ridiculous. There's something about his hair that really pisses me off. It's like he, it's like he's had a shower, but his hair's really greasy. It's right. like, oh, yeah, my I God, know, just I know, yeah, I know the pop look. a little bit of Alberta balsam on there, you'll be fine. Um, this is of course the also the film with a, a cameo from Lance Armstrong, which really hasn't aged well. Aged well. A lot of the cameras haven't aged well. I look at you, Chuck Norris. Um, so yeah, it's it's all about you. Um, you've got Vince Vaughn as Pete Lafleur, who runs like an average, well, average Joe's gym, and it's just people going to work out. He's making no money, and he and his next to him is it's called like ultra gym or something and it's run by ben stiller's character who's this ridiculously over-the-top fitness fanatic christine taylor who is ben stiller's like actual real-life wife now is one of yep. the most beautiful women in the <laughs> in the world and she's in this film and i was it's not often i'm watching them like i'm struck by someone's beauty and that is that you're absolutely gorgeous it was actually distracting <laughs> and of course this is 2004 so now she's nearly 20 years old which means she's going to go in my scrapbook <laughs> <clears throat> um and yeah it's difficult when you go to google and you type in pictures of christine taylor with the eyes already cut out to save me some parking time um <laughs> so yeah this is a so this is a bit of a silly like under, underdog sort of does good thing what struck me about this is the cast of characters, like you've got Stephen Root, um, Vince Vaughn, Rip Torn, Justin Long. It, they all really work well together. And Alan Tudyk as well is quite funny in this. But the humour in it is it's like it's on the cusp. It is on the cusp of when the world took a turn and said, right, you can't really make comedies about this sort of stuff anymore. You can't you can't make jokes about retards. You can't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. And right, rightfully so. But this so the jokes are so well delivered in this that I couldn't help but laugh, knowing, right, I'm glad the world's moved on a bit from this, but that is just a well-delivered line, quite frankly. Um, and yeah. I, was surpri- I was surprised how much I laughed at this because Vince Vaughn isn't someone that comes to mind when I think of someone who makes me laugh i think of him more as like a rom-com guy but there were three lines in this that really tickled me one is when you first meet vince vaughn who's like an aged version of hank azaria's character and he says if you can dodge a ball you can dodge a wrench and throws a wrench and it hits just along in the face and his reaction (laughs) everyone else's reaction is amazing it's like genuine shock genuine (laughs) shock that it's happened uh, and the slightly less salubrious line where um, Rip Torn watches them all training for the first time and says, you look like a bunch of retards trying to fuck a doorknob. Not acceptable now, but the, his delivery that you're trying to fuck a doorknob. It's perfect. I think, you, I don't know. I think you could get away with it, given his character, to be fair. because Yeah, he is a ridiculous yeah, character. It's not he like, does get, he it, does it, get it, his come up and some Yeah, and he is clearly someone who's punching down constantly. Because he's such yeah. a bully, so I think you probably get away with it. But yeah, I think I know what you mean, though. Like that, just general style of comedy, which is very abrasive and deliberately offensive, etc. I don't no, no, just no. go down well these days. Wait until I go back to the final joke in the film, Rupert. <laughs> that that is the one that I thought, Jesus Christ, 
wow. But you know, the funniest line of the film for me, and I, as this scene was taking place, I actually slapped my head and thought, oh my God, I forgot how much I loved the, this line. And it's the sequence when Ben still is trying to romance a disgusted Christine Taylor. And he's he's saying how much she wants him because he's the perfect human specimen. She's like, can you just go away? Can you just get off my property? And he and he's like really misreading the situation. Like, oh, maybe you don't stand me. Anyway. Come on, baby. Me and you've got a thing going. And he turns around. And Vince Vaughn is walking up a drive with his hands in his pockets, wearing like weirdly baggy clothes. Tellingly, you never, even though he runs a gym, you never see Vince Vaughn topless in this film. Mm-hmm. He's walking up the path with his hands in his pockets, and Ben Stiller turns around and says, "Go away, Lafleur. This doesn't concern you." And Ben Stiller, and sorry, uh, Vince Vaughn says, "Not as much as your hair does." And that is one of the best lines in. In comedy, ladies and gentlemen, it's so like casually delivered and so deflating. And then, yeah, and then obviously Ben Stiller pisses off. But so it goes to the end of the film. You got the you know the goodies versus baddies and the slow motion shots and all the dodgeball stuff. And then Christine Taylor, uh, someone, uh, another woman comes on the court after they've won, and obviously Vince Vaughn, who's like a weirdly passive character, thinks this is where they get together. And she and Christine Taylor snogs this other girl, mm-hmm. and and he's kind of a bit shocked. And she says something like, "Oh, I bet you thought I was gay." And he's like, "Well," and she says, "Don't worry, I'm bisexual." And then snogs him as well. Okay. And I and I thought that makes me feel uncomfortable because that <laughs> that is not only is that just shit writing, but that is cheap, and it's not funny. And like, how is that supposed to make the the audience feel? yeah it's not funny it's it's not clever and it's not sexy it's just awkward yeah Um, that that, that's a weird joke is that suggesting just suggesting that she's got a girlfriend and a boyfriend now so yeah because that's a different thing (laughs) (laughs) bisexual doesn't mean you're instantly like polygamous yeah so it doesn't it was really awkward and um yeah, and then the, the the final joke is that um, what's his face? Uh, ben Stiller's character gets really obese and just turns back to the what sits, basically saying "fuck this," which is fine. That's fine. Fat jokes are fine, but the bisexual joke was was awkward. It's the first time I watched a film in a while and actually thought, "Hmm." I think even eighteen years ago, people would have thought, "What?" I I suppose a lot of those comedies from the early two thousands. I mean, it started, it was resurrected by stuff like American Pie, wasn't it? Which is mm. almost like a throwback to the, the 80s uh, kind of like um, bad taste comedies, like uh, Animal House and I suppose stuff like that. But um, yeah, and but it, and then it would, I suppose you had, what What did you have? The, the Was it called The Wedding? Not the wedding singer. What was the one? The, with we- the wedding crashes. That's the one, yeah. One, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, and they'd have a few of them. Uh, and I'm kind of glad they did die out. <laughs> to be honest, it was getting a bit tiresome. Yeah. It, it's always... It, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because when I think of comedies like that I really love, you think of things like The Big Lebowski. Mm. Or... Um, oh, I'm terrible with comedies. I, anyway, that, that'll be my example for now. But... Yeah. But then when you hear something like The Wedding Crashes and you know, you know the whole thing from that ju- that title. 
It's like, right, it's going to be them getting pissed and turning up other people's weddings and it just being like slightly gonzo yes. jokey humor. And it's, I'm, I'm kind of bored before I finish reading the title. Like, it could be really good, but with this, it, it did, it was well written. And to be honest, I should look into the director and maybe the writer because, I mean, I don't know what else they've done, um, but I, I did, this was beyond nostalgia. You know, I, I the laughs I got out of it were, were earned. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I so I could probably watch it again and still laugh. That's good. Um, okay, well we haven't got much time left, so I can quickly whiz through. Speaking of comedies that wouldn't be made today, I can talk about Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, okay. Briefly, uh, which was made in 1993, uh, and basically Robin Williams plays this voice actor who can't hold down a job. His relationship with his three kids is great, but his relationship with his wife. Sally Field is a wreck. So she wants a separation. Due to the parlous state of his employment, he loses virtually all custody of the kids and he needs to find a way to see them more. So when his wife advertises for a nanny, he gets his makeup artist brother to transform him into Mrs. Doubtfire, who's this elderly Scottish woman. She enters their home and she brings order and discipline and a bit of slapstick and farce into their lives. And but then also kind of unlocks some hitherto unseen qualities in himself. And you can kind of see where it's going. Um, I mean, clearly, this film would never be greenlit these days, to be honest. I think uh, gender bending stuff is probably just a bit too toxic these days. So you can imagine the tedious controversy you'd get on Twitter with half people saying transphobic and then the other half saying it's corrupting children. So you can imagine that. And. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean it's not funny to see this, to see Robin Williams dressed up like an elderly Scottish woman, because it is funny. <laughs> and it is, it is a bit of a one joke skit. Uh, I mean, to be honest, even something like Some Like It Hot, which was made like 30 years before this, seems a bit more progressive than this. But anyway, um, there's the whole thing about Robin Williams, like ultra camp brother, which almost seems like a token to dissuade us that the film might be homophobic but is, is that is that the guy who's got a really raspy voice yeah yeah, yeah he's, just, he's i think he's a, more known for theater directing because he was in independence day as well yes he was the name yeah. um i i don't i don't think it it is a homophobic film i just think it's a bit conservative and its humor is like a a gentler more palatable version of some risque 70s comedy really and gentleness is the order of the day there's very little laugh out loud stuff here although i do think that the final sequence where robin williams uh character has he has to maintain two separate dinner party appointments at the same time in the same restaurant adopting different personas and he's also getting steadily like more and more drunk at the time i think that's pretty brilliant uh and there is a bit of a sharp edge underneath the comedy i'd say like the whole custody battle between robin williams and sally field is absolutely brutal she is merciless and he absolutely loathes her for it it's so harsh and and really it's just the kids who connect them in the end and the and the final narration just sort of under underlines it it's just not a romantic love story at all this film it's a story about parental love and so is it like is she is she uh like full-on to the point of affecting the children or is she just attacking him um he's a bit much like her viciousness i mean i suppose 
ultimately you got to think, yeah, he is pretty like, I guess she's not just up against, you know, the fact that he's like a funny character, but also it's Robin Williams, you know, who's just lovable to everyone anyway. So it'd be a bit harsh not to recognize it, you know, from her perspective, her character's perspective, he is a pretty useless as a father. So yeah, uh, I think it's an okay film overall. And I think there's always, nice to watch Robin Williams do his thing it's a memorable character not his best work I wouldn't say not clear as well why everyone keeps referring to Mrs. Alfred as English when she's clearly Scottish oh yeah and I forgot to mention um, Pierce Brosnan has a very funny role in this is like Sally Field's new boyfriend he's just oh. so smarmy <laughs> some of the put downs that because of course Mrs. Doubtfire is very very polite and prim and proper and some of her put downs are absolutely brilliant in his presence like just totally withering emasculating put downs but spoken in a really delicate way so that's always good fun so he's the bits with him are great but yeah do can't you think, see this one being remade somehow i think that you're talking about have i got time by the way are you available for two two minute trashings sure sure yeah no just before we move on to those last two i've got um have you got any more sorry um, I'll save a few. You'll save a few in the pocket. Cool. I was just going to say that we, it's an interesting concept you brought up with with um, the way that Will doesn't move forward with these films that me with Dodgeball, you talking about Mrs. Doubtfire. Do you think there are some great films that won't get made just because you probably comedies, I would assume, because of the world we live in now? Not that things need to be offensive, but just because mm. it would they would just never get greenlit. Do you think we're uh, missing out on some gold? Um, I think, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't really think it's got anything to do with people's sensibilities. It's more to do with just controversies, online controversies and social media controversies and stuff like that, isn't it? Because, of course, as soon as something as soon as something would be announced, it would be an instant backlash uh, against it. And and so you know you've got that kind of instant feedback effect haven't you so i i would imagine that a lot of studios feel like they've got to play it safe somehow and i suppose of all genres comedy would be the one most affected because you wouldn't really be able to have anything which was risque in any way mind you i don't think at the time i don't remember mrs talfire being considered at all controversial or risque at the time i think it was just like it was as simple as, oh, it's like a hairy, broad-set man dressed like a woman, and that's inherently funny. Which, no. to be fair, it is to an extent. But, uh, yeah, I'm not... I, I, it does make me wonder, though, actually. It did make me think while I was considering this. Like, if you think about the age we live in now, would someone like Robin Williams have kind of survived... It, with the sensibilities and the kind of the temperament of the online world because when you look at actually a lot of his comedy i was watching aladdin recently and of course a lot of his comedies to do with impressions and like him mm. putting on voices of various foreign people etc and they are funny but like would people have the appetite for it or would certain people online have the appetite for it i'm not so sure and you think about stuff like you know, same with Good Morning Vietnam. Like, he's just 
he's improvising for minutes on end and like throwing in voices and all kinds of things and slightly risque jokes and that was the beauty of him he because he has such a you know such a, a fast mind for quips and put downs and such a great impressionist and all that and it was the full package and then you wonder like yeah would he would there have been the appetite for his particular brand of completely off the wall unleashed humor not sure and that would be a pity because you know we would have lost a great comic like robin williams or at very best constrained him which would have been a sad situation yeah i think you're right i think that there are a lot of if you had someone who say it was like a, a robin williams or a or a Jim Carrey character coming up now, they wouldn't be able to f- function in in terms of sort of a, a capitalistic sense in in the world we're in. And it's like for the sake of a few people getting offended, yeah. we could have had some really really good movies or you know uh, yeah. stand up specials that would really stand the test of time. And it's a shame. I've yeah, never thought about I mean, it. Maybe. Until you... Yeah, I do. You wonder, like, if you look back at the great comedians of well recent years i mean yeah like jim carrey i suppose jim carrey would have been i mean he may have made it just because of the he was always quite child friendly and stuff anyway i suppose i mean there's stuff mind you that happens in ace ventura which is uh, a little bit the the glasses are just a moment (laughs) yeah the whole crying game sequence but again yeah I mean, it's, I suppose it's kind of like that sequence is like, it essentially rests on like the disgust of the idea of homosexuality. So yes, yeah. in it, on, on its face, it's homophobic, but it kind of is amusing the whole crying game music element to it. If you've seen the crying game. So, you know, um, but it's just different times, isn't it? Yeah. Um, okay, you I'm just go back talk- to the good old days of just, you know, well, you, you coming mentioned- back from work, drink until you black out, and then wake up in a rage and beat your wife. <laughs> Isn't that just normal? Uh, well, yeah, but that was bloody Tuesday as far as my dad was concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he'd literally he'd open the, he had the motion sensor. He'd open the door by swinging his fists in a certain pattern. <laughs> he didn't even have a key. <laughs> It's quite an advanced system, yeah. <laughs> For 1987, it was cheaper just to get a key. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, so they're watching snooker or something, and then you just hear, and you look at the silhouette behind the door, and you're like, oh, dad's home. <laughs> I think he's forgotten his keys. Um, so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through. Two, two movies really quickly. Um, one of them is No Way Back, one that my brother Transvaal gave to me. Thank you. Ten pence well spent. This is um, this is a 1995 film starring Russell Crowe. This is pre-Gladiator Russell Crowe. And I've never seen anything starring Russell Crowe that's pre-Gladiator, but this was a real eye-opener. This is a really bog-standard um, crime thriller. And he plays a, a New York detective who is setting up a uh, a sort of sting operation to to take down a white racist skinhead Nazi gangbanger, effectively. But things take a bit of a turn, Rupert. Um, mm-hmm. He 
he's got this uh, Asian woman that he's going to send in, and she's got obviously got a wire. So she's going to drop the wire in the room, and then um, pretend to fillet this skinhead, but then take this tablet that makes her vomit. So he sends her away out of disgust. She's out of sa- she's safe, home free, and then they just listen to this bug they've dropped. But what happens is. And and you, this is the natural order of things, Rupert. She ends up stealing a gun, shooting everyone, picking up a grenade, and then leaping through a window, setting off the grenade on the top of an FBI van that she lands on, and killing those inside. So then Russell Crowe's superiors basically put him in a room and say, well, that took a turn, didn't it? That that plan you had took a turn, didn't it, Mr. Crowe? And... Um, turns out that then he has to sort of clear his name by trying to get the woman who killed those men and sacrificed herself's brother because he think that she he thinks she indoctrinated him her into the into the sort of yakuza it's a it's a film and then it, and then it weirdly turns into like this road movie about them kind of bickering and not getting on with helen slater um it's a film that really does know what it wants to be the cover is Russell Crowe in a grey suit with slick back hair with a tilted gun pointed at the camera. Um, behind him is sort of, um, you know, neon lights. It looks a little bit like, um, what's that film from 1997 with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez? Out of sight. Yeah, it's got the out of sight feel about the cover, which is another three-word title, and maybe it's cashing in on that, I'm not sure. This is directed by Frank Acapella, who I've never heard of before, by the way. Okay. But the, pro- the problem is that it starts off and we see a load of skinheads beat an Asian man to death in a box with cricket bats and baseball bats. And then we see a protracted scene of sort of um, uh, hinted at sex involving a grenade with an Asian woman. And then you've got the way Russell Crowe speaks to his estranged son or oh, we don't find out about why he's estranged with his son until much later on but he's, he's really dismissive and unloving of his son so they're quite heavy duty topics and then halfway through the film he's on a plane trying to take this mafia boss you know to to, to jail effectively and then because he's a bit moody helen slater tv superwoman supergirl sort of takes an interest in him and tries to say, why are you so miserable all the time? Why don't you cheer up? And then they end up in a car driving through the desert, bickering and having this sort of uh, like wacky relationship. And it's like, there's, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake and a lot of seriousness. And then you're having this like silly, like you just wanted to just push her out the car and say, go away. Or for him to just cheer up. And the, the film goes on and then resolves itself. And I thought, all of this was totally unbelievable. It, at no point was it funny. At no point was there any decent action. At no point was I amused. And at no point was I emotionally invested. And the ending sequence uh, echoes the introduction sequence in a really sentimental and cheesy way that is absolutely not believable with Russell Crowe's character. So I don't like, I'd be interested to see more pre gladiator stuff with Russell Crowe because I don't, I don't see the appeal here. Ellen no, Confidential? It, that's pre-Gladiator. Oh, sorry, I meant to say uh, Ellen, because that's 97, isn't it? Gladiator's 2000. Pre-Ellen Confidential, I meant to say, sorry. Yeah, because... Uh, check out Romper Stumper. That's, that was a good one. Uh, very see, early that's, one that's a film about racism, isn't it? I, I just struggle with that a little bit, so... <laughs> 
Yeah, it is yeah. a neo-Nazi. Is I, yeah, I don't think I'd enjoy that. Which is a theme about his early films, at least. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's basically a, like a boring buddy comedy. Um, okay. And the last film I want to talk about today is it's a film that is a it's called Bulletproof in the UK. Not that one with that one. Gar- Gary Busey, or not that one with Adam Sandler, Keen Ivory Wayans. This is actually called Crown Vic in America, which is about the model of Ford car that police, the uh, patrolman used up to 2011, I think it was. Oh, and yeah. this is Thomas Jane and Luke Kleintank. Uh, Luke Kleintank is in... I watched this very recently. I think it was last night, the night before. This is... Luke Kleintank is a new... He's got a wife and a son on the way. Mm-hmm. And it is craving to be one of those L.A film set stretched over one night hardballed crime thrillers and it just okay. does not it does not have it it doesn't do it <laughs> I, I and i and i really when thomas jane is on form like he i really like him he's got a great voice and in this he's got this this wonderful little hitler mustache and he is like the hardballed cop but all he does is he's so did basically thomas jane is the sort of older a uh, disillusioned cop, and Nick Kleintank is the is plays a character called Nick Holland, who's a young and kind of a, a bit of a go getter, and it just breaks, it just breaks down his view of what being a policeman is in the space of one night, but in a in a really silly way. Um, it starts off with them going along and Thomas Jane just monologuing and just saying really generic things, like you know the world it's all about what's inside your car. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. What happens inside this car? There's a world outside, but this is all you need. And it's like, okay. And then they'll pull over for like a traffic violation. They'll pull over for like a hit and run or someone running a red light, all this sort of generic stuff. And then they start introducing characters that are really over the top. Like there's one character played by uh, Josh Hopkins called Jack Van Zandt, who's just clearly a drug addict. A policeman is a drug addict. And there's a really weird scene where they bump into each other at like a gas station and he just monologues and just, mm. and it's, it's clear that he's unhinged and he's, he's has problems. And, and Thomas Jane just like rolls his eyes, even though he's someone who supposedly goes by the book, which is what gives weight to the final sequences. He just rolls his eyes at him. And Luke Klein tanks characters like that man is troubled. And he, and he's like, Oh, he's going to blow his brains out. Don't worry about him. Um, and we see, and then throughout the film, they keep bumping into this this uh, Josh Hopkins character, and he's doing more and more outlandish things. And then they'll bump into other characters that are in certain situations or certain uh, sequences are hinted at, and nothing ever seems to get resolved. And at one point, I thought, okay, that's kind of it's all almost like a sketch of it's a sketch of life as a police officer and how because mm. I actually I actually I know I know it's very different being in Cardiff, but I used to know a police officer in Cardiff and I a lot of very telling conversations with him where he told me that when you when you when you are a policeman um you you it can change your it can change everything from your political views to like how you view your home life to how mm. you view certain certain you know it's 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 a full on job that can deconstruct your personality and I had to kind of agree with him from what he told me. Uh, but watching this, it doesn't do that. I mean, this film didn't give me any more than a single conversation in a drunk night I had with a friend who shared the same job. It didn't have the same impact, which I think is telling. Um, and so when the film ramps up and up and up, I w- it, 
it got so far beyond believability. Again, kind of like you said with Predator, where mm. it's like over this what this short period of like days or weeks, she's suddenly this epic hunter. Mm. It's what well, over this one night, these people have changed so much. But the difference between this and Prey is that it, this film is focused on that. Yeah. That is like the heart of it. And there's a sequence towards the end where these ridiculous things happen. And it's like there's going to be no repercussions for them. And I thought, well, but this whole film has been about repercussions and the, the sort of the the the, un, the underlay of the underlay of situations. It's like what? So nothing matters. I don't know if it was sort of a trying to be a really nihilistic viewpoint, but it, it did it in a very tedious way. Yeah, it just felt very boring. And I thought I'm looking at Thomas Jane and I'm bored. So something's not right. <laughs> Um, and and also Thomas Jane tries to give him a, a monologue that echoes killing them softly, and it it just doesn't work. It, it just mm. falls absolutely flat. Um, and also there's a few scenes where to show absolute exasperation, Luke Kleintank sort of does this scream, and he does it about four or five times. And I thought you just sound like someone who doesn't know what else to do, so he's just shouting. It just sounds it it's like um. I don't know. It seems like uh, Amdram 101 a little bit. So I came away from this just thinking, one, it could have been half an hour shorter, and two, it did need to be as wordy, and it did need to be as so, like, sort of um, falsely self-righteous. It needed to just double down on everything. That sounds disappointing. And that is... Not that you were probably expecting that much. Um, No, not at all. Right. Okay, so what are our films of this week? I've got to say, some disappointments this week. Nope was very disappointing. Should you bother with it? Nope. Uh, I, uh, I, I will watch it because I'm stupid. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah. Thick, yeah, thick as shit. Uh, yeah. So Elvis, I suppose, uh, is all right. Lightyear is all right. It's pretty good. Prey, I did like it with reservations, but I will watch it again and happily. So that says something. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. I think The Signs was the best film I saw in this period. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. Well, I I really like Prey. I'm looking at mine. Ultimate Web. So basically mine is like Prey the Grey Man or Dodgeball. Um, and I think that I, like the Grey Man is like a good forgettable action film. Dodgeball was a surprisingly good comedy. I'm gonna say just because you didn't, I'm gonna say Prey because I feel mm-hmm. like this is a this is a franchise that is kind of having a new lease of life and the strip back approach. And it, it it was, I can't, yeah, I can't. I I really had trouble taking my eyes off the screen. I was completely glued to it. So I would say Prey for me. So Prey and Signs. Now I I feel like we should do this. Um, uh, together, the Arkansas for next okay. episode. So, what have we got? What 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 um, actress leaps to your mind from what we've talked about this evening? <laughs> I wish I is could it, remember. I wish I could remember Christ- the name is, of the actress and pray. It's it's Christine Taylor. Oh, that that's Amber Mid Thunder. You're thinking of? Okay, yeah, maybe that would be a little bit too hard. Um, what? So we're going Christ- with Christine Taylor. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I've chosen the female, so you have to choose the male. Okay, so Christine Taylor to uh, I want to get someone from a different um, era. 
Christine Taylor. Helen Slater. <laughs> Christine Taylor to oh god, I was about to say Elvis Presley just then. That would have been too much. Christine Taylor to Keith David. Oh, nice. Okay, Christine Taylor to Keith David. Nice. So that's the end of it. You've got a few. Uh, I've I've gone through all mine, which is nice actually, because I'm totally up to date now. You've got a few on the back burner for the next yes, one of you. I've not I've not gone through all of mine, but that's fine. I can bang these out. <laughs> Yeah, there's a um, few two minutes but yeah okay excellent it's been a pleasure as always it's always a pleasure and my love for you runs deeper than the Nile you're just in denial <laughs> <laughs>